0: Welcome to Soundprint's Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. SoundPrince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is SoundPrints for the week of October 29, 2017. Hit a home run with KCB at the 44th Annual Conference and Convention of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Coming up on November 17 and 18 at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Be part of this action-packed weekend filled with technology, exhibits, workshops, presentations, entertainment, good food, fun, and friends. Learn how to be a Hall of Fame hitter at our four conference workshops. The team training includes Building Team Spirit, Friday at 1 p.m., Effective Team Building Ideas and Activities for your chapter, committee, or workplace, sponsored by KCB Next Generation. Preserving the Record Book is Friday at 2 p.m. Tips for preserving photos, audio, and video. Creating past, present, and future archives for your chapter, committee, work group, or family. Sponsored by Tri-State Library users. How to Wow the Crowd. Friday at 3 p.m. Take Charge Without Saying a Word. The Importance of Body Language, Posture, and Other Visual Cues. Sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. Team Reporter, New Ways to Share, Saturday morning at 10.15. It's not just text anymore. Use Facebook Live and other social media techniques to tell your story to the world. The exhibit area will have two sections again this year. First, the Souvenir Stand will feature information and useful products for work and home and gifts and crafts. It's open Friday from 4 to 6 and Saturday morning from 8.30 to 11. The Scoreboard Tech Area will be open on Saturday morning, 8.30 to 11. Sit down at a table with representatives from Hims, Humanware, Eschenbach, APH, and more. Try out and compare magnifiers and other low-vision products, braille note-takers, and audio reading devices. Ask questions and get tips from the experts. Heavy-hitter programming begins in the general session on Saturday morning at 11.15 to 12.15 and again Saturday afternoon, 1.30 to 4.30. Learn how you can use the new stable accounts to save money, even if you receive SSI. Discover how the American Council of the Blind is working every day to improve the lives of blind and visually impaired people. Get the very latest scoop about tours and other plans for the 2018 ACB convention in St. Louis and find out how KCB will help you get there. Watch the KCB email list and our Facebook page for more program announcements. The Kentucky Council of the Blind and its special interest chapters will hold their team meetings and elections during the weekend. All members are encouraged to attend, all meetings are open, and guests are welcome. Guide Dog users meet on Friday at 4, KCB Next Generation for members 40 and under, Friday at 4.30, Tri-State Library users, Saturday at 9.15, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, Saturday at 9.45, and the KCB business meeting will be Saturday at 12.45. There are 14 meals at the convention, and tickets are available when you pre-register. The first-pitch lunch is Friday at noon, $6 in advance, $10 at the door. The All-Star Dinner is Friday evening at 6. Special guests Beth Kuhn, Commissioner of the Workforce Development Cabinet, and Becky Cabe, Acting Director of the Kentucky Office for Vocational Rehabilitation, will explain how changes in federal regulations and a possible merger of OFB and Voc Rehab might affect the McDowell Center, the independent living program, training and work-related services you receive through your counselor, etc. KCB Life members and conference sponsors will also be recognized. The menu includes pork loin and meatloaf, mashed potatoes and veggies, salads and desserts catered by Halls. Tickets are $15 in advance, $18 at the door. The Ballpark Barbecue Lunch is Saturday at 12.15, $6 in advance, $10 at the door, and the Jim Shaw World Series Banquet is Saturday at 5.30 p.m. The speaker is David Trott, ACB Treasurer from Talladega, Alabama. Award presentations, chapter reports, and much more will fill the program. The feast includes fried chicken, roast beef, potatoes au gratin, veggies, salads, and desserts catered by Halls. After the All-Star Dinner and program on Friday evening comes the double play. Imagine Blind Players is a theater troupe for blind and visually impaired actors. Its founder and director is Darren Harbour, a 2006 graduate of the Kentucky School for the Blind. IBP is now in its second season and it's going to be performing Neil Simon's California Suite in December. Attend a dress rehearsal of the play following the Friday evening All-Star Dinner. 8.15 8.15 to 10.15 in the ballroom. The Grand Slam Auction is on Saturday evening after the Jim Shaw Banquet. Get ready to bid and buy at the KCB Grand Slam Auction, happening on Saturday evening from 8 to 10, following the Jim Shaw Banquet. It'll raise money for both KCB and its chapters. Chapters donating items to the auction will receive 50% of the proceeds from the sale of those items. Individuals donating items can also specify a chapter to receive 50% of the proceeds from their items. Auction items must be in new or like new condition. Collectibles, jewelry, holiday treats, technology, household items, and music boxes are examples of popular auction items. The KCB convention is packed with opportunities and information that only come around once each year. We know the cost of attending the convention is much higher for members who live outside the Metro Louisville area, and we want to help members from out in the state attend. This year, KCB is offering a $75 stipend to members who travel to convention from outside the Metro Louisville area. Help make convention fun by donating a door prize. They need to be new and unused. Turn them in at registration. Donors will be acknowledged when the prize is awarded and in the KCB newsletter and here on Soundprints. Show your support for KCB's good work. Become a conference sponsor and be recognized in the official program. Individual sponsors attending the conference wear a special ribbon on their badges. Major sponsors, $200 and above, are listed prominently on the first page of the official program, and all sponsors are recognized throughout the weekend and on sound prints. Become a rookie, $10, pinch hitter, $25, $25, fielder $50, or slugger $100. Be a captain $200, coach 300 manager 500 or commissioner $1,000. People often ask what they should wear to the convention. The KCB board reminds you that the convention is a business meeting. Your team uniform should be business casual attire throughout the weekend. Suggestions for men include dockers, khakis or other dress pants, and shirts with collars such as button-downs or polos. Suggestions for women include slacks or skirts, tops or blouses. Sweaters or jackets are optional. Shoes are required. T-shirts, extremely low-cut or tight tops, very short skirts and flip-flops are not business casual attire. Convention room rates at the Ramada Inn On Zorn Avenue in Louisville are $80 a night plus tax. Up to four guests in a room. Included with your room are free Wi-Fi and free breakfast. A microwave and small refrigerator are in each room. Call the Ramada at 502-897-5101 right away to make reservations. Be sure to let them know you're with the Kentucky Council of the Blind in order to receive our convention rate. KCB registration at the hotel opens at 11.30 a.m. on Friday. When you arrive at the hotel, go to the registration area, sign in, and pick up your conference badge, program, tickets, etc. All meetings, exhibits, and meals are in the ballroom, the stadium. Registration is required, whether you attend one meeting or event, or the entire weekend. The registration fee is $8 in advance and $10 at the door. It covers exhibits, workshops and programs, the Grand Slam Auction, the Imagine Blind Players Double Play, and KCB and Chapter Team Business Meetings. Buy tickets for lunches and dinners when you register. Pre-registration is now open through November 14. Payment can be made by check or by credit card. For more information and to pre-register by phone with your credit card, call us at 502-895-4598. Do you get frustrated when you get your paper money mixed up and you have to ask someone to help identify the ones from the tens and the fives? Well, there are apps and little devices that'll help, but at best, they're pretty slow. ACB has been working for years to get the government to issue money that can be identified by color and by touch. ACB won a court case in 2008 that would do just that, but we're still waiting. Eric Bridges, ACB Executive Director, joins us on page 2 to share the latest development in this never-ending saga as we work toward identifiable currency. Most people in the blind and visually impaired community expect guide dogs to be well-behaved. Since the passage of the ADA, it's become easier to take guide dogs into restaurants, malls, on buses and trains and airplanes, etc., But since the passage of the ADA, there's also been an increasing problem related to service animals. What is a service animal? What are the expectations for behaviors of service animals? How are others affected by the service animal? Recently, an article was published citing 19 states that are in various stages of passing legislation related to service animals, their training and use. Penny Reeder, president of the Guide Dog Users Inc., an ACB special interest affiliate, is our guest on page three. Penny discusses these issues and the problems in finding appropriate solutions. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two Eric Bridges is the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. He is in the Alexandria, Virginia office, and we're talking with him today about tactile money. And Eric, it seems like we've talked about tactile currency forever, but there's been another development along that road, so catch us up to date here.
1: Sure. Actually, we were going through some documents last week, Carla, here in the office, and it turns out that there are at least two resolutions from the 1970s.
0: Oh, my goodness! That were
1: adopted by ACB oh. uh, regarding accessible paper currency. So um, many longtime members of ACB probably recollect all kinds of advocacy around this in the 80s and then in the 90s and then 15 years ago we filed the, the, lo- the lawsuit against the Department of Treasury.
0: Mm-hmm. 15
1: years ago. Mm-hmm. We actually won the case yes. <laughs> 9 years ago yes. and uh, the, there have been a series of uh, setbacks where the government has claimed for various reasons uh, mainly due to anti-counterfeiting and security that um, the the redesign of uh, the banknotes would be delayed, and so we uh, uh, filed a, a motion uh, in district court uh, last year, and uh, to to begin to more assertively deal with these delays because the government. Went from a 2020 deadline to a 2026 deadline to produce the first accessible banknote. Yes, which would be the ten dollar mm-hmm. bill.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we we simply had had enough by that point. Well, the district court uh, agreed with the government on the on the face of it, dealing with uh, security concerns for anti-counterfeiting, and we've we appealed that. Uh, that decision, and uh, la- on Thursday, the 19th of October, we uh, had our oral argument at the Court of Appeals uh, for the District of Columbia. And uh, I-, I would uh, say that we had uh, a-, a very good morning. And um, for those that are interested, the actual audio of the oral argument is up on acb.org on, on our homepage. You can go there and click on it, hit enter, and listen. And that's uh, roughly 45 minutes in length. And uh, the court provided us that, that audio the same day of the oral argument.
0: What happens next, then? Where does it go from here?
1: Well, next is we wait, which <laughs> we're...
0: Which we're good at doing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the oral argument lasted 45 minutes it was in front of a three judge panel and uh... the judges were really very interested in the the reasoning for the delays uh... also uh, the the uh, some of the assertions that were made at the district court level regarding meaningful access and currency readers and apps and it was raised again by the government in the, in this most recent oral argument. And um, the government uh, it, it acknowledged during the oral argument that, that, that the currency readers did not provide meaningful access. Uh, that seems to contradict what they said at the district court level. They were claiming that it huh. did provide meaningful access and really – that uh, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. We, we all know, I believe, as blind and visually impaired people, that, you know, external devices do not provide meaningful access. They don't provide the same level of access as just pure accessible currency does. Right. And, um, you know, there were all sorts of apps that were raised by the government. Uh, it's kind of funny to listen to the, to the government attorney uh, reference the Seeing AI app, which I think oh. is a fantastic app myself, yeah. but, uh, you know, they did not raise their own app, uh, the the iNote <laughs> app. Yeah. Uh, but what do all those things require you to do? It requires you to have a phone, and it requires you, in most instances, as a blind person, the most truly accessible phone that's out there is the iPhone, right. and the iPhone, while an amazing device is expensive, right? and why should we have to pay uh, several hundred dollars up to $1,000 with this new iPhone that's going to be coming out, uh, all that amount of money to then download an app to gain access to our nation's currency? Um, it doesn't seem right, and that was argued by our, our attorney, um, Jeff Levicki, who did a, a wonderful job last week. Um, and has been with us from the very beginning, uh, providing this uh, legal legal advocacy um, for no cost, uh, pro bono, which is really unbelievable. Yes. So, coming back around to your question, I will get there. Um, when when will we know? Uh, we expect a ruling or a decision. Uh, in this, uh, by by January, February, somewhere in that time frame. But it did seem uh, f- fairly clear that the judges had uh, discussed this case ahead of time because they peppered, uh, in particular, the government with some pretty difficult questions. Um, mm. They they didn't, uh, well, they did ask several questions of uh, of our attorney, uh, but they were more uh factual in nature so uh, not not a well they were more i actually they were more opinion based where our, mm-hmm. our lawyer was able to give his opinion on stuff but mm-hmm. they peppered the uh, the government
0: with the factual attorney mm-hmm.
1: with factual type stuff and and some of the some of the questions that they asked uh, the the government did not have uh answer to uh-huh. answers to so
0: well, that's good well, they didn't have answers, and further from a low vision point of view, um, you know the money is all the same color. Um, was that was that brought up in in the arguments at all? So
1: what was what was raised <clears throat> was the uh, the actual business of making the currency accessible. Mm-hmm. And w- one thing that I think is important for us to sort of. Uh, raise again here, because I think over time, and, and quite rightly so, because it has been nine years, um, and, and frankly, 15, since this yes. whole thing began, right. ACB never dictated or attempted to dictate or recommend an accessible solution to make the currency accessible for mm-hmm. our community. Right. We never did. Um it, our, our goal was simply to ensure that the currency of the U.S. was made accessible. And so we left it up essentially to the government mm-hmm. to identify a way that would be uh, the most effective from, from, from their standpoint to, to, to make it happen. Right. So in 2011, government actually decided that the uh, enlarged numeral and um, tactile feature, the raised tactile feature known as the RTF, um, would be the best way to go. Uh, understanding that other countries, there are a few other countries that do that. Uh, Canada does, and uh, uh, the U.K. actually just introduced a 10-pound uh, banknote note that um, – has braille on it as well, which is pretty cool that our attorney actually had at the, at the council table, uh, mm-hmm. during the oral argument. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's, I think that's an important point to, to be made here. Um, uh, because in some circles I've heard, well, you know, ACB, ACB wants this, uh, tactile feature. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. That's not to say that, that, members of A C B uh that we don't like it or support that idea. But there are other ways of, of making access currency. You know, most nations that have accessible currency um have different sized banknotes. Um that's really the predominant way that it's done around the world. And it hasn't always been done just for blind people. It's it's been done because it's a sort of a logical way of of uh you know, denoting banknotes. Right. The
0: right. you know, Fifty mm-hmm. is
1: larger than the twenty, and the twenty is larger than the ten, and blah blah blah. Right. So. Right. Um, <clears throat> that for for a very long time has been how it's done. Now the government is claiming that there have been issues in anti-counterfeiting. the The other issue that we took though in with that is that in two thousand and eight, you know, the 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 security. Of the nation's currency, was uh, in you know in the in the thoughts of the judge, uh, the security and the accessibility did not need to be tied to the same, um, or did not be need did not need to be tied together. That you could do accessible currency uh, without having to rely or or. Be hooked into the to the security aspect of it, uh, mm-hmm. the anti-counterfeiting aspect of it. And, it, and it actually came up during the during the argument last week, and um, our lawyer raised it again, and uh, there was even a question asked by the uh, by Judge Henderson, who's the the woman. If you listen to the to the audio, um, she actually asked a question of the government regarding how much money was it going to cost to change the portrait of Hmm. the ten dollar bill because you know that discussion has taken place over the last couple of years and you know adding uh, Harriet Tubman right and um, the the government did not know Um, and you know her point how could they not not know you know right
0: they've got to know Eric they've got to have some idea well, I'm, I'm well sure that it is too. our government, you know. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a lot of this just sort of shows you um, the government and the the pace and the uh, the barriers that the government can set for set up for itself, right? Um, when it doesn't really want to make things happen,
0: right? Um, exactly,
1: and that's the that's the, the sense that that I get. Yeah. Um, we'll just see. Gets. We'll
0: just see how many little roadblocks we can find, and how slow we can make this train go, in order to make sure that this doesn't happen um, anywhere like soon. When the court case was was um, settled the first time. Um, am I not correct that the assumption was that the. Uh, currency the tactile features the accessible features would happen as bills changed and it was anticipated that that change would happen in far less than nine years because um, the the uh, the government had been in order to keep ahead of the um, of, of those who did not want the who who were interested in the counterfeiting and so on in order to keep ahead of them they had to keep changing the money a little bit making some changes updating etc well so are we to believe that they have done nothing um that relates to security uh and and um and those issues surrounding money here 9 years later and they're not going to do anything out to 2026
1: it's it's very hard to believe so at, in 2008 at that time, um, and for you know uh, quite a period ahead of that ruling, the sort of the common range of time for redesign right. of a banknote is mm-hmm. seven to ten years. Right. So if you took right. it, you know, face value two thousand eight. Right. So we should be ready to go. Extrapolate that out, we should be ready to go. We should um, be. And. You know, the government uh, three or four years ago published a white paper that talked about a time frame of 2020. Okay. Right. Well, that's an extra couple of years. But then when you when you take it out from 2020 to 2026, right. that's when ACB uh, sits up and says, look, you know, this isn't right. This is That's right. Double the time, essentially. Well,
0: and, and we could ask the question. For one banknote. So- Right,
1: or one, the first one.
0: That's right, and so we could say, have you not addressed any security issues um, in regard for this one banknote? In the, you know, this would be eighteen years. What about all the other banknotes? Are mm-hmm. we not worried about security? For I mean, to me, I think I'd be worried about the security for the hundred dollar bill myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you could have a huge stack of ones and you got a security problem. Um, right. I mean, this is ridiculous, Eric. It's totally ridiculous. So, what is this going to take? Another thirty or forty years for them to worry about security on another on on another bill?
1: And that was that was actually raised by one of the judges. And by that time, week. we don't
0: need paper money.
1: Right, um, because <laughs> the district court ruling, you know, uh, of last year essentially gave the government sort of a an open time frame for all yeah. of this,
0: yeah. which
1: none of the three judges seem to be uh, happy with. And Good. in fact, uh, they, uh, Judge Henderson, the, the woman uh, judge, uh, she even said, look, this this." decision is sparse. It's vague. It's three pages. She's like, you know, there needs to be the, you know, these issues need to be addressed and they need to be addressed more concretely. And so it gives us, uh, hope, you know, that they will, uh, remand this back to the district court with a modified order. Um, with that, you know, we don't know what they're going to what they're going to dictate, the the appeals court. But it it would be our hope that there would be some level of of, uh, timeline or, uh, you know, certainty for this to begin to happen.
0: Well, I I think everybody should be concerned that this is not just an accessibility issue. This now becomes a much broader issue because, to me, the government is not exercising its responsibility to keep the monetary system secure. Would you not say I would? Yeah, you know, uh, and, and they're
1: and they're they're denying they're continuing to deny access. Absolutely. Uh, to to our community, right. and um, you know, this has not been efficiently done. It's not been um, the the whole process. While. You know, I I think that there is probably fatigue in our community, Carla, uh, concerning (laughs) all these focus groups that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has done at our convention and others.
0: We're just just sick and tired of them.
1: Over the last seven, eight years. Let's just get with it and get something done. That's right. Yeah,
0: That's right. We are sick and tired of them coming and telling us they're interested in what we want to say because really their actions do not say that. So... You know, Well, Eric, I think we're going to be talking about this again in the future at some point. I uh, just have a feeling that's going to happen. It's <laughs> uh, only
1: been 15 years. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, would, I would assume we'll be having at least one more conversation Eric, on this You may, you may
0: be retired before they get this done. So, yeah, I hope <laughs> No, me too. So, well, um, so everybody, if you're interested in this, please go to www.acb.org and click on the link to listen to the oral arguments, and um, let's keep up with this issue. This is something that we've got to keep on our front burner Um, as much as possible and Eric we certainly commend um, you and the ACB office and Jeff Levittky for doing this this is um, this is um, we we have to keep moving forward somehow so thank you very much sure thanks Carla page 3 I'm talking with Penny Reeder who is the president of Guide Dog Users Inc and we are going to be discussing service dogs and you think oh okay well okay service dogs but there's a real issue related to people who are using pets and claiming that they're service animals and it's 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 becoming a major problem around the country so penny we're glad you're on sound prince today and um Tell us, uh, tell us what's happening uh, in this area and why it is so important.
2: Well, thank you, Carla. It's a pleasure to be here. Service animals is, is a pretty definitive definition in the Americans with Disabilities Act. All of us who use guide dogs are using a form of a service animal. The waters kind of became muddied when the Department of Housing and Urban Development um, began to allow people to have what they called emotional support dogs um, in public housing. Um, we're not against that, but uh, it did change people's understanding of the rights that people who use service dogs have, and it got very confusing. So it's it's become a major issue for all of us or many of us who use guide dogs or other kinds of service animals because people believe that because their pet provides emotional support and they can therefore call their pet an emotional support animal, they can bring their pet anywhere they want. And that Two, it wasn't just HUD that changed the way, the complexion of the situation. It was also the Department of Transportation because they decided uh, when they amended the Air Carrier Access Act to allow emotional support animals to be on planes and trains and buses as well, any kind of public transportation. And it did
0: not have to be a dog?
2: It didn't have to be a dog. Um, And (laughs) that's been a real problem when people have been bringing snakes and... Yes, yes turkeys and God knows what else, um, on airplanes and on
0: buses my emotional and support, to restaurants. My emotional support turkey. Yeah. That, that ensures that I'm going to know where my next meal is, maybe. There, you know. there
2: was actually a turkey on a plane a couple of years ago. Oh and And I have a friend who has a guide dog named Gardenia. And my friend said when she heard the story of the turkey on the plane, she said, Gardenia loves turkey, which that was a really funny thing to say. So it, there's, there's some amusement involved with it, but it's not very amusing. No. When you go to a restaurant and uh, a little yippee dog starts pestering your guide dog. Or um Or when someone brings a pet to a place like an airport or a train station or a theater, and claims that that pet is an emotional support animal, but the pet has never been out of the person's home before. So obviously the pet's going to be terrified in a train station with all the loud noises or or misbehave just because it's a totally unfamiliar situation. Mm -hmm. So um, these emotional support animals that people claim to be service dogs, or service animals, uh, pose a safety risk for us. And they also pose an access risk, risk for us. Because if someone has taken their pet to a store and the pet has made a mess or bis- misbehaved in some other way, then the store owner is likely to be less welcoming of us when we come with our very well-behaved service animals mm-hmm. because they can't tell the difference. And there are only two, ways, two questions that a person can ask um, if someone claims to have a service dog, they can ask, has the dog, has, well, we're just going to assume it's a dog, has the dog been trained to, um, to assist you because of your, a disability? And the second question they can ask is, what services does this dog provide for you? So that's confusing to business owners as well. Um, And and certainly, they can ask someone with a pet these same questions, and that person can make something up. So how do they know what's real and what's not? And one of the major aspects of our civil rights under the Americans with Disabilities Act is that there's no certification required. I mean, all of our schools belong to an organization, or most of them do, an organization that certifies the schools and guarantees that they provide good training. But a person can also claim train his or her own service animal, and there's no body to certify whether the dog is well-trained or not. So There's no certification, and there's also no requirement for a person to have to carry an ID, which would indicate that the dog is a service dog. Most of us who graduate from guide dog schools graduate with an ID. But most of us don't want to have to whip out the ID every time we go to the grocery store either. So you can see that it's kind of a murky subject.
0: Yes, and it, it can be, um, it can be a, I think, a, a real problem. Um, I think a real important thing here is the... the um, Image that untrained animals um, <clears throat> give when they are in places of business, um, especially restaurants and, and stores and things like that. And, you know, you get on the bus and you're greeted by a snake. I mean, that's. No, that's no, no, no <laughs> that, that doesn't give you a lot of uh, feelings, fuzzy, warm feelings of security, you know.
2: Or a fuzzy, warm feelings about a person with disabilities.
0: That's right, that's right, that's right. So um, there's recently been a story uh, published about some states that are trying to enact or have enacted some legislation that relates to this. And um, do you have an opinion on on some of those things that are happening?
2: I do. GDY has helped uh, various state legislatures uh, craft legislation. I know we've worked with Arizona, and we've worked with Maine in the last year or two. Um, And I know Florida has a relatively recent statute, which was just enacted. I think it's all well and good for the states to do this, um, as long as um, they're not uh, diminishing anybody's rights. Um, Some of the states, uh, in the legislation that they wrote, before we kind of advised them about it, had some pretty restrictive requirements in the um, proposed legislation. Mm-hmm. I remember one state I think it was Arizona was requiring that a service dog user get the dog a vet visit every year mm-hmm. and uh that the vet visit had and that the vet had to certify that the dog was um, well-maintained and healthy. And certainly all of us do that because we care about our dogs. But to make that a requirement is pretty restrictive. But that um, also doesn't expensive. solve...
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Um, so there are states that have these laws, and um, most of them have turned out to be very good laws.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But we understand that they're not often very well enforced.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine. I mean, how many... You know, how many service dog police do you have?
2: Well, yeah, and how many police want to go over to someone who's, who's with a, a dog that they're claiming to be a service dog and kind of harass that person? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, and how many, a friend, am I a canine police officer would certainly think twice about doing that, I would think. Um, so we understand that they're not very well enforced and that the fines are usually not very significant. On the other hand, a good thing about the laws is that if um, the states or the localities advertise that it is a crime to uh, travel with, to pretend that you have a disability, or to pretend that your dog is a service animal, um, and that there is a fine for that if you're caught, that seems to make a difference. That... as far Long ago, as 2012 in uh, California County, they passed a local ordinance and they put posters up everywhere describing the fines that people would have to pay if they were caught doing this. And it made a significant difference in the number of people that were trying to pass off pets as service animals. So we see it from a lot of different angles. We're not opposed to the laws and we think many of the laws are good. We wish that they would be enforced, and they're not always enforced very well. And when there are such laws, we really want the states and the localities and the towns to advertise so that people understand that their pets, even if they provide emotional support to them, are not actually service animals ameliorating a disability.
0: You know, going back to your to your comment about um requiring the person to take their dog to the vet every year and to make sure they're healthy and so on. Well that that's just a small little piece of the whole issue because you can take your I mean, people take their little pet you know, yappy doggies. Um, (laughs) I I shouldn't say that. Somebody's going to say, she doesn't like little dogs. Well, Oh,
2: I like little dogs if they're well-behaved. I have no problem with little dogs.
0: Yes. But but the vet, in doing his examination, has absolutely, um, you know, no... No, he's he's not going to say, oh, this dog is well-behaved. No way. Right. He, he doesn't participate in the training. He's not a trainer. Now, if they required you to take them to a trainer and have that trainer certify they're well-behaved, that could be a different issue. But what a hassle. Oh, yeah. And for a lot of people, they might not even have a... Um, a, a dog trainer or a cat trainer or a pig trainer or a turkey trainer, <laughs> you know. I mean, how many of those kind of people are there around? You know, I'm going to go get my chicken trained. You know? <laughs> I
2: think I should point out that the uh, Department of Justice defines service animals exclusively as dogs. That's a good name. Um, there is a possibility that they've grandfathered in in the guide horses, the miniature <laughs> horses that a few people use. Yes. But really, service animals under the Americans with Disabilities Act include dogs, pretty dogs. much. Right. And last year, the Department of Transportation attempted to write new regs for the Air Carrier Access Act, mm-hmm. and GDY was involved in that effort. And one of the things we attempted to do was to rein in the kinds of animals that could come on planes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, even though the negotiation didn't end up in an actual regulation, there was pretty much consensus that um, emotional support animals could be dogs or cats or rabbits, and nothing else could ride in the cabin with Mm. passengers. Um, And then we attempted to say that um, a, a animal that's not a service animal but is called an emotional support animal has to be either contained in a carrier or if the person is really nervous when the plane is taking off or landing or while they're flying about that the animal has to be on the person's lap and unleashed um, now as I said those regs ended up not passing because the airlines Mm-hmm. Um, decided that they wanted more certification than we were willing to accept. Mm-hmm. But I think that we were all on the same page as far as consensus.
0: Can you leash a rabbit?
2: Apparently you can.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. All right. If you say so.
2: <laughs> That's what we were told by uh, the person who represented uh, people who wanted to use rabbits as emotional support animals.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty, whatever you say. Yes, well, <laughs> all right. least yeah. if
2: it's leashed, it's not going to hop too far.
0: So. I just can't imagine. <laughs> I have seen cats, you know, every now and then be leashed. But, yeah. yeah. A rabbit. That would be um, interesting. They could, <laughs> they could be hopping and taking you just about any place.
2: Oh, well, that's true. I guess yeah. people carry them in little carriers mm-hmm. or in... Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know much about them. They're
0: awful soft and neat, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I'm just not sure about putting them on a leash. Well, all right. So this is going to be another one of those issues that really it 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 has been to this point one that does not have a simple solution. And it's one that probably will morph into several other things in the future before there's a final um, agreement on on everything. In fact, th- there may not ever be such a day that comes because there's there's always you know something out there, some <laughs> somebody out there that's trying to change something. There's
2: always something, isn't there? Yeah, but, there uh, is. You
0: know,
2: if the uh, various government departments would just harmonize their definitions, I think that would be a well, great. Place if they just to all start. get
0: together and talk <laughs> about it and come up with one definition. And and then the solutions that would be fine tuned to their individual departments, it would make life so much easier.
2: It would. I just want to make emphasize one more thing that I don't know if I've said enough, but um, Gdy doesn't have anything against pets, and Gdy <laughs> doesn't have any problem with people who need an animal for emotional support. Right. Um, but what we want all the animals that are out in public to be is well behaved right and and if someone has a pet and they want to bring their pet to the restaurant and the restaurant has a pet friendly patio that's fine as long as the pet is going to be under that person's control and be well behaved exactly
0: yeah yeah and and that has been that's um that's been the the point is they have to be well behaved
2: and i think all over europe i think that's pretty much the case you know Mm -hmm. i know Mm. People in France bring their poodles all over the place. So.
1: <laughs>
0: mm. Yes, and um, well, I think they do in other other countries too. Other is, countries it, is it Denmark that they just have animals all over? I think it is, where they have uh, you know just everybody almost has their dog with them or whatever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. and uh, and I mean that's that's great. So long as you as you say they are well behaved. You can't have. Um, Animals that are just totally out of control, um, and expect to maintain order, you know, yeah, <laughs> whether it be yeah. among humans or among the animals, <laughs> among
2: anybody, right? Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. Well, Penny, I really appreciate you being on Soundprints with us. And um, if, if if there's other developments on this issue, we would love to hear about it. Okay.
2: okay. Well, we will definitely keep in touch um,
0: okay.
2: through the Braille Forum and through places like Soundprints. Right. Thank you, Carl. It's always Thank a you. pleasure to be you.
0: with you on the show. Appreciate it.
2: PH's Nearby Explorer is a full featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store.
0: Page 4 The Sound Prince Calendar. On October 30, the KCB Convention Planning Committee will hold a meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call at 605 475 6006. Enter code 294444. The following events are scheduled for November. On November 2, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its next conference call which will include a presentation by Jack Link, blind past district governor in Missouri. This is an opportunity to share ideas and ways to be included in your local Lions Clubs. Open to blind Lions throughout the United States. Call 712-432-3900. The code is seven nine six zero nine six, and the call is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On November 3, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout, including education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion time 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $5 per person, and games and crafts 7 to 10. Reader assistance will also be available from 5 until 7.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On November 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings. The Advocacy Committee will meet at 7 p.m. and the Education Activities and Technology Committee, EAT, will meet at 8, both on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On November 7, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next conference call meeting and Support Group at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. This meeting will feature a guest speaker. On November 8th, the Kentucky Council of the Blind PR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On November 9, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its first peer support group meeting of the month at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. Call 502-895-4598 for information and to sign up. Also on November 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call, the phone number is 605-475-4700, enter code 155619. On November 10, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include Education and Technology, beginning at 3.30, Discussion Time and Tip Sheet, 5 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, $5 per person. Bingo, 7 to 9 $2 per person. And cards and crafts will also be available. Reader assistance will be available from 5 until 7.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. November 11 is Codes, Ciphers, and Secret Messages from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. What does Braille have in common with Morse code, semaphore, shorthand, and ASCII? They're all codes. Join us to crack a few codes and to invent our own for adults and children 6 and up at the American Printing House Museum on Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call 502-899-2213. November 11 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board meeting at 11 a.m. on the conference line at 605 475 Enter code 294444. On November 12, KCB Next Generation will have its monthly conference call at 8 p.m. by phone on the same conference line, 605 475 Enter code 294444. Also on November 12 is a meeting of ACB families. It will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and will be on the conference line 712-432-3900, enter code 796096. The guest speakers for this call will be Sharon Bensinger and Pauletta Feldman, who will talk about the founding of VIPS, the visually impaired preschool service in Louisville. This is a preschool program that serves children birth to five years. On November 14, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVI, will have its next meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, contact Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. The speaker for this program is from Vanda Pharmaceuticals, and they will be discussing non-24-hour sleep disorder. November 17 and 18 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind State Conference and Convention. Hit a home run with KCB. Participate in workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and make good friends. Sponsored by the Kentucky Council of the Blind at the Ramada Inn North in Louisville, 1041 Zorn Avenue. Room rates are $80 per night plus tax for up to four people in a room. Make reservations by calling 502-897-5101. For more information, call KCB at 502-895-4598. On November 19th, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association Board will meet at 8 p.m. by phone at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. On November 20, the KCB board meeting will be held at 7.30 p.m. on the same conference line, 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. On November 22, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a Thanksgiving gathering from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB Office, 1093 South Broadway, in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information. On November 25 is Family's Day Open House at the American Printing House for the Blind, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, play games and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in the award winning museum. See Denver the Guide Dog, a Discovery Channel video about how a puppy becomes a dog guide and is matched with a new owner. Holiday goodies and hot cider will be served for all ages. For more information, call the museum at 502-899-2213. On November 26th, ACB Families will have its peer support group meeting for the month on the conference line at 712-432-3900. Enter code 796096. The time is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On November 27th, Guide Dog users of Kentuckyana have their November conference call at 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. And some dates in December include December 2, Christmas with the Council, 4.30 p.m. until 9 p.m. at United Christian Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. On December 3 is the 6th annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on ACB Radio. For more information, visit acbradio.org or acb.org. On December 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will hold its Christmas party from noon until 2.30 p.m., Join us for dinner, Dirty Santa Gift Exchange, $10 limit, and more, Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.